Hello and welcome to the Tea Leaves Podcast, where we sit down to have an ongoing conversation on the Indo-Pacific century, brought to you by the Asia Group. Hello, I'm Kurt Campbell. And I'm Rich Verma. Each episode will bring you into the discussion with the most prominent policymakers, artists, journalists, business and thought leaders driving the Indo-Pacific from New Delhi to Tokyo. Tea Leaves is recording off-site today, inside the Oval Room on Connecticut Avenue in Washington, D.C., and we're very lucky to have with us this restaurant's proprietor and one of DC's most famous and successful restaurateurs, Mr. Ashok Bajaj. Ashok and his Knightsbridge restaurant group currently own and operate 10 Washington, DC restaurants, including The Oval Room, Bombay Club, Rasika, Bindas, Nopa, and Bibiani. His restaurants serve a range of cuisines from Indian to American, Italian, and starting earlier this year, Israeli at his new spot, uh, Sababa. For the Tea Leaves crowd, I have to say I've had the opportunity to visit a number of Ashok's uh, restaurants, and the experience is truly amazing. And if any of our listeners have not had the pleasure of dining at one of your venues, Ashok, they really should. Uh, these are incredible places, and they are must uh, tries real pillars of the DC food scene. So congratulations. Uh, but before we get into all that, we should give a brief introduction. Ashok was born and raised in New Delhi, India, where he studied commerce as an undergraduate before beginning graduate training in hotel management and tourism. He then spent six years with the Ashok group working with the Taj hotels, resorts, and palaces across India and eventually in London. Then Ashok got the entrepreneurial bug in his mid-20s and decided to open his own restaurant in Washington, D.C., which has now grown into an empire with 10 restaurant locations across the capital. He appears in the Washington Post, CNN, Forbes, Food & Wine, The Washingtonian, and The New York Times, and he and his team have won many accolades, including a James Beard Award. We're so pleased to be here today at the Oval Room with him. Ashok, welcome to Tea Leaves. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming to Oval Room and welcome. No, it's incredible, uh, Shok. I've been to, as I said, so many of your restaurants, and I never thought I'd have this chance to sit down with you and, and talk to you about uh, not only the restaurants, but really um, your background and where you're from. And I wonder if you can just tell the listeners a little bit about uh, where you grew up and how you uh, got started in this industry and, and your love of food. Well, I was born in New Delhi, um, grew, grew up in New Delhi, and um, in my early 20s, um, I moved to London to uh, open a um, restaurant for Taj Group of Hotel called the Bombay Brasserie. Mm. And uh, prior to that, uh, as you said in the introduction, I did my undergraduate degree in hotel management and um, was lucky enough to work for a very group, a great group of uh, hotels in Taj Group of Hotel and Ashok Group of Hotel. Uh, Ashok Group was also a very prominent uh, hotel group back then. And, um, and then I joined Taj and, uh, and the rest is history, as they the rest say. Is, the rest <laughs> is history. You know, but a, a lot of restaurateurs and chefs, they uh, trace their kind of interest in food and restaurants back to their upbringing and their families. And uh, was that an influence for you? What, what, what was your family like growing up in, in New Delhi? Um, 
You know, hospitality, it's very natural in Indian families. Um, my mother was, was a great cook, um, but like most Indian parents... Uh, they, they wanted want, you to be a doctor or engineer. They wanted me to be a doctor and an engineer or yes. something else other than joining the hospitality. So, right. they so they didn't take really kind to my profession initially. and uh, um, But then... Um, once I joined the hotel management, uh, I think they were okay with that. Um, but parents had a great influence um, in this, and um, uh, eventually I was told, do whatever you do, follow your passion, and I really enjoyed the hospitality part of it. Mm. Um, no, didn't want to be a doctor, yes. I was a science student, <laughs> and uh, not a very good one, so they realized I should do something <laughs> other than be a doctor. Ashok, uh, you know, when we look back on this, you have a remarkable empire now, but it was not preordained. And we noted that at the outset of your career that you looked at a number of cities um, before you chose to really make your initial flagship here in Washington, D.C. We're in Sydney and London. Um, but in the 1980s, you chose Washington, D.C. And I think uh, I lived there during that period. And what passed for, you know, good grub was a steak and uh, french fries. What made you choose uh, Washington? And what kind of a risk was that? And why did you make that decision? So I was in London for six, seven years. And I um, really wanted to open my first venture somewhere other than London. But the goal was... Um, I'm going to do open a first venture somewhere else and then come back to London and open my second venture there. Um, so I had uh, lucky enough to meet somebody uh, in London who lived in uh, Sydney, Australia. So my goal was to open a boutique, a hotel, and a restaurant in Sydney. Um, and I traveled to Sydney, uh, but it, 30 years ago, Sydney was a different place to live. Um, and my deal did not go through with him to open a boutique hotel and a restaurant. And um, then I came back to London, and he says, how about coming to the United States? And I said, oh, I don't want to the United States. <laughs> um, but he convinced me to come to the United States. So I came here. Uh, I went to New York, uh, Chicago, and went to San Francisco. And actually, this was, Washington was my last stop. Um, the energy of Washington, the capital of the world, the streets, the whole thing just felt right for me. And also I saw an opportunity um, because, as you just said, there was a lot of steakhouses and not so many ethnic restaurants or, you know, not many great restaurants 30 years ago. So it was a different place. Um, Did you know when you were looking that you were going to uh, open an Indian restaurant? I did. The reason behind was I wanted to open uh, a restaurant where, you know, Indian Americans uh, would be proud of taking their friends, American friends. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, in back those days, if you say, where do you want to go celebrate a birthday or an anniversary, it was always a French restaurant mm -hmm. or an American restaurant, but it was never Indian restaurants in the mix. So that was the birth of Bombay Club. I really wanted a a fine dining, high-end restaurant um, where Indian Americans could be proud to take them. And that was my goal, and I think that's why that's how the Bombay Club came about. 
But uh, did people tell you, oh, this is never going to work, a uh, high-end Indian restaurant? Um, you know, this, there's just, it's not going to take off. I mean, were you, you must have had so many people tell you uh, this, is, this is never going to happen. Um, no, I, I was told numerous times, Indian restaurant, high-end Indian <laughs> restaurant, what is it? Right. Okay. E- even um, my real estate advisor um, said, high-end in Indian restaurants, what is that? And I said, well, look, there'll be no difference between, you know, the, the high-end restaurants. You had Occidental then, then you had, you know, Prime Rib. And I said, we'll be serving Indian cuisine, but it will be as a nice ambiance and service and food, but it will be just Indian food in the restaurant. Uh, so my business partner then wanted to do a hire a marketing company and say to see if Indian cuisine will be popular here. You know, of course the answer was no, it won't be popular. And I said, I'm going to do it in any case. Let's do it. <laughs> so. You've had uh, presidents dine here uh, at Bombay Club. Um, I, I guess two questions. How important was this location to you? The location just we're we're just next to the White House here. And secondly, what what's that been like? You've had President Clinton. You've had President Bush. Um, that must have been a real honor for you, getting to know them and having them come to your restaurant. Right. So, so when I took this location on Connecticut Avenue, everybody was saying, "Don't be on Connecticut Avenue. This block of 800 Connecticut." Avenue is not known, which I found out after opening. <laughs> Everybody thought Connecticut Avenue starts in the, after K Street. Um, but I wanted to be a little bit secluded, where I want people to find me. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Um, And that was the thought process. To answer your second question, uh, yes, it was a great honor to have um, President Clinton, who came here. The, and, you know, yes, honestly, I was a bit nervous, but it was a dream come true. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I moved here and I should see um, First Lady Nancy Reagan used to go to Jockey Club. And I used to wonder if I would ever have the pleasure of having the first family uh, in my restaurant. Um, so we, I had the pleasure of having President Clinton um, and his family and uh, Associate Attorney General and then Webster Hubble. They mm-hmm. all came together. And, and subsequently, many times afterwards, and uh, they celebrated uh, Chelsea's 16th birthday wow. at Bombay Club and, and many other special occasions. And uh, I was even fortunate to be mentioned uh, in President Clinton's book um, hmm. when he was going through a little bit of turmoil in his political life. He says the highlight of the evening was... Uh, spending in the Bombay Club of Chelsea. <laughs> so for me, you, so there's a lot of satisfaction there. Um, and then I had the pleasure of having um, President Bush Sr., who would who came here. Uh, actually, he came to the Oval Room too a few times, but he but he came to the Bombay Club um, before going to going to the ceremony for President uh, Bush Jr. Uh, at the at the capital, he came with the whole family. Amazing. So. Ashok, let me ask you. So, you've been incredibly successful. Uh, restaurants are n- are notable primarily for failing, actually, and and oftentimes they'll have a good run for three or four years and then shut down. 
you've had this remarkable success over a substantial period of time. Um, you must have learned lessons. This this can't all come from schooling. So if you were to give, if there's someone out there listening who wanted to start a restaurant, what are their what are the two or three pearls of advice that you've learned that are absolutely essential for a successful uh, restaurant? You have to stay focused. You know, there are going to be good years. There are going to be not so good years. Um, you have to focus on the prime goal. What what are you trying to achieve? You know, it's restaurant is a serious business. You're hiring lots of people in the restaurant. And you're only as good as your last meal you serve in the restaurants, as they say. And uh, it is so very true. If you have a bad experience, you aren't going to come back. So for me, is the advice is to stay focused. Make sure you really want to get into the hospitality business because the failing rate is tremendous. There'll be years you will not make any money at all but you can't cut back the staff. You have to maintain the standards. So for me, and doing this for now 29 years, I always stayed focused on those goals. Um, you know, 9-11, Gulf War, when the streets are closed, um, I never cut back any staff. I always, you know, I always stay focused on the food, stay focused on the service. Uh, do I have a 100% success on winning everybody? No, I don't. But, you know, every day is a new day. You try every day. So for me, if I, one advice will be stay focused. Second is, no, this is what you want to do, okay? Um, and those are the two advices I got to tell you this. Hmm. And there are others too. Make sure you have enough money in the bank when you open. That's right. That's <laughs> okay. important too. You know, I mean, you know, the views are important. God forbid you have a setback. A um, uh, lot of things could go wrong in the restaurant. And make sure you have, um, you know, mm-hmm. the rent money, the other money for a while, six, seven months in your J- bank. Just follow. So I had always um, thought that uh, that there was a lot of turnover in restaurants, but I'm told with elite restaurants that the, the more successful a restaurant, the less the turnover. Is that the case with your experience? It was the case with my restaurants. Like I have still people worked with me for 25 years since I, you know, first opened my first restaurant 28 years ago. But things have changed in the last eight or 10 years because there is explosion of new restaurants, what's new, what's hot. Uh, so turnover is a bit higher now because consumer is uh, spread thin. So everybody's going where they can make more money than they could make in an existing restaurant. So that have changed a bit. But having said that, um, I have a you know I don't have as a high turnover as the other restaurants would have it. I've been blessed in that way. So after Bombay Club, mm-hmm. uh, tell us about uh, your evolution. So what what came next? So after Bombay Club, I realized this, that opening a lot of Indian restaurants in the United States will be very difficult because finding the professional chef, uh, I was having trouble. Okay, the immigration system, I came from London, whereas you invest X amount of money, they let you bring three or four chefs, so they stay with you. So I found it, found it very challenging uh, to bring the chefs to this uh, country. And, and then I, and I also, for me, it always has been grow, but along the way of the growth, I want to learn. Right. Okay, so um, then I opened 701 Restaurant on Pennsylvania Avenue. When I moved here, I was uh, I used to walk up and down the Pennsylvania Avenue just to see, I thought, magical street and the Capitol and the White House from 
in my mid-20s was like amazing. And um, and the building at 701 was going up and I, um, th through a, a broker, I approached the building people and, and you know, the 701 came, Modern American Cuisine, we were the first one to open a caviar bar. Okay, wow. I thought, um, nation's capital, all the senators, congressmen, everybody comes here. I said, caviar bar will be huge success, but no, it wasn't. But so 701 <laughs> is still there 28 years later. Um, so, and then when this building came up, where we are sitting now, um, there was no other restaurant here in the Bombay Club. So I really wanted a more of a presence in this 800 block. Uh, so when the owner of this building approached me and I, I knew what I wanted to do here, there was a lot of excitement there after President Clinton's visit mm -hmm. at the Bombay Clubs and I wanted to, to open a restaurant called The Oval Room. And so for folks who are listening, we're literally right across the street from the Bombay Club. That is correct, yes. Right. And and someone told me that you actually go visit all of your restaurants every day. Is that true? Well, it, it is true. I, I try to go to all of them, and I actually I do make it to all <laughs> of them. It's not that hard. You know, Washington is a small city. Um, at lunchtime, it's hard for me to go to all the restaurants, right. but dinner time, um, you know, I have valets in each restaurant, so I can park the car and and it's not that hard. So when so when did Rasika come into the? So the first sixteen years of my career here, okay. um, I end up opening um, the first wine bar in the city, in the Cleveland Park, an American brasserie, the fine dining oval room, um, Bombay Club, seven hundred one, which was the first supper club in the city. Um, but I did not want to open another Indian restaurant. There was not so much of a demand for Indian cuisine. Mm. So I ended up doing everything but the second Indian <laughs> cuisine restaurant. Then suddenly, it's like a flashlight go out, and I said, good, so many Americans are traveling to India and coming back and telling me what they had in Hyderabad or what they had in Bangalore or what they had in New Delhi. And so, so much people from here mm. during... Uh, just not from Washington, but you know, all over the country, was traveling to India because of the technology and ex explosion. And I decided to do Rasika, which was the goal behind was to do what was happening not only in India but in other part of the world. Uh, I went to Paris um, and saw Budaba. Um, some of the dishes were Indian, music was hip, ambiance was vibrant, and I said, wow, this, this the dining had changed. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the chefs who had two or three Michelin star restaurants, they were opening um, casual restaurants, and I said, oh, great. So that's how the Rasi Cup came about, and then I hired a chef who has um, worked in London. I knew him, uh, and then I asked him to come and open Rasi Cup for me. And that's how Rasika came along, and uh, and it's been well received. Well, it's so popular, actually, and you've got two two locations. I, now. Yeah. I was very reluctant to open the second location, and I <laughs> said, um, and I didn't. Okay, and then I end up opening Bibiana in between the yeah. Italian restaurant. Yeah. And I said, well, two Indian restaurants—that's enough in the city. I don't know if they can take it. The, the third Indian restaurant, but I mean. 10 years ago, eight years ago, we were, you know, apologizing constantly. So sorry, we were fully booked. So sorry, we were fully booked. You'd almost feel bad. And um, and then that's where the Rasika Western came in the picture. And um, my general manager, who's still with me at uh, Rasika Western, says, 
we have to open another location. Um, you know, I think there's a demand for it. I think we can do it. And that's how the Rashika Western mm -hmm. came along. And I'm happy I opened it, you know. We're sitting here weeks after a, a real tragedy, um, the death of Anthony Bourdain. And for many of us who travel a lot and uh, spend long nights in, in hotels, sleepless, you know, uh, Parts Unknown was our window into kind of a, an adventuresome life uh, in which food and culture help uh, bring people together. I'm curious uh, what your experience was with him and how you interpreted uh, his role uh, in the world. So I found out in the morning, uh, and I had an iPad right next to my, on my end table, flash, Anthony Bourdain committed suicide. It was really a very sad moment. I didn't know how to take it. At that moment, I had the pleasure of meeting him twice. Um, once at Leal restaurant, which he had it here. I think he was visiting from New York um, in D.C. Um, and I owned 701 down the road. And um, another occasion was in Penn Quarter at Rasika. Um, so I had the pleasure of meeting a very nice guy. I mean, he brought, uh, I mean, his show was not only about the food. I mean, his food, his show was about politics, about culture, about food, how he, uh, knitted them together so cleverly that, you know, you could watch and sing, like, you're there in present with him, uh, experiencing that food and culture. And, um, I mean, it's, it's a great loss to our industry. I mean, I, I think he spoke his mind. Um, I think but he left a huge a void and but a huge mark on our restaurant society and the, uh, and the world on his on the whole, and he will be missed. But do you, do you feel uh, kind of a certain obligation in your, at least your Indian restaurants, to convey uh, that sense of culture, that sense of history? Um, it's not just about food, is it? Your, your experience coming to one of your restaurants, is it's, it's very different. So again, with Bombay Club, when we opened the first restaurant, my goal was, OK, Let's be proud of our heritage, what we've done. We live in a great country here. But um, when you talk to people, I mean, I mean hear it, you know, on a, on a daily basis that how much they enjoy bringing their friends and uh, sharing the culture in the restaurants and seeing the authentic food, the hospitality. It's a, um, it's a great satisfaction. Yeah. There's a lot of divisions in the world today. And, yes. And people can sit across the table at one of your restaurants and come together. Yeah, my, my father um, was at the Bombay Club, and um, this is going back, I think, 1993, 94, he passed away. Since then, President Clinton was there. He says, I think the Bombay Club brought the relationship between India and United States closer. <laughs> I think Whether that's it right. Is, you know, he says, you know, food brings people together. Right. And... Um, and it's, I think we had a, 
uh, we have a very strong relationship with uh, India and uh, United States now. And, uh, That's right. I, I've, I've got to ask you about uh, one of your newer restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about um, how hard it is to get a table in Rusika, but I've been to um, Bindas when it's very hard to even find a place to sit down and that's at all hours of the day. Are you surprised at how popular this restaurant is? And for the listeners, tell them a little bit about um, Indian street food and why this has been so popular. So Joe Heim from Washington Post interviewed me for his column, I think four or five years ago. He says, what about opening a casual Indian restaurant? And I said, well, Rasika is sort of casual. He says, no, no, no real casual restaurant. <laughs> so, and along the way, a lot of people have suggested that. And uh, so now I have three fine dining restaurants, which is the Bombay Club, Indian food-wise, Bombay Club, Rasika, Rasika West End. So Bindas came in just um, sitting at Rasika with my executive chef, and I said to him, I want to open a street food restaurant. <laughs> he says, okay. And I said, let's think about the menu. Let's think about our, our childhood memories because he's from Bombay, mm -hmm. I'm from Delhi. And I said, um, and we started doing the research on that. This okay. is like a, a trip through old Delhi. Trip to old Delhi yeah. or Bombay, you know, the, on Chapati Beach or right. going to the south and, you know, eating those, um, right, the Uttapams and et cetera. And uh, so, so it, was a, it was a journey for uh, our childhood. Um, and, uh, and, and concept was very exciting for us because creating something um, which has not been done before and, um, and being accepted as well uh, by the consumer, it's, it's a lot of satisfaction there. Um, and um, I have two of them. I'm looking, hopefully looking to do another one soon. So we'll see. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so there is, you know. So what uh, what is next for you? So more Indian food? Can the can the city can Washington handle more Indian restaurants, or are you going to head in a different direction? Well, I mean, if you look at this, the Indian restaurants are opening now. When I moved to the city, I think there were a handful of restaurants. Now I'm I don't know personally, but I think I'm told there are 65 Indian restaurants wow. in Washington metropolitan area or more, and um, so, that so city can take it. <laughs> well, they can probably take more of your restaurants, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Well, thank you. Could I ask just about, um, you know, we, we're seeing not only uh, a lot of innovation with, with cuisine, um, but, but um, fusion cuisine in terms of sort of the melange or mixture of one cuisine with another. Um, uh, I'm curious about whether uh, Indian cuisine has been influenced more recently um, by other cuisines in a way that creates, you know, unique tastes and uh, dishes? I think we are getting, whether it's Indian cuisine or French or Italian or any cuisine, I think it's becoming very global. We are taking the influence from each other's culture and cuisine and making it our own cuisine. Um, it's just not one cuisine. I remember um, many years ago when I had 701, you will barely see um, any spices, Indian spices in the kitchen. Now, uh, Indian spices are used in thought of cuisines. Mm -hmm. Vice versa, I mean, you know, world is very global. Cuisine is becoming one. Cuisine is really, we take influences from each other's cuisine and each other's culture. So 
um, whether you call it refusal, you call it innovation, and I think it goes hand in hand in um, what the chefs are doing now. And they're traveling more, and the internet, and the knowledge is so much out there on your uh, fingertips that um, you're not confined anymore. So, what is your favorite? Uh, Indian dish at any of your Indian restaurants? It's real. That's a tough question. It's really hard <laughs> to say what is my favorite dish in any one of my restaurants. Uh, but um, what's, you know, the, what's the most popular? You know, um, it really depends. I mean, we have in Rasika, we have crispy spinach called Palak Chaat. At mm-hmm. the Bombay Club, we have tandoori salmon. I mean, it really depends mm-hmm. um, which restaurant you're at. I mean, it's, uh, you know, at Sababa, the Israeli restaurants I opened not too long ago, I think it's the best hummus in town. I'm making a mm-hmm. statement here. Uh, but um, so it really depends which restaurant it is and what you like. And uh, That's great. Very diplomatic. You, if, if you choose <laughs> to go into another field, you'd make a good diplomat as well. Um, so, uh, I'm, you know, you're a humble man. And I'm wondering, when you have someone... Uh, like a president come in, um, what special things do you do? I mean, do you have, do you assign more cooks? Do you, I mean, do you try to treat them as a normal patron? I mean, I'm just curious because every time I've been in a restaurant where someone important comes in, I, you, you kind of feel like a, a, a different energy and more focus on uh, those people. But what do you try to do in that circumstance? Well, especially in case of president, when they visit your restaurant, you can't hide them. Okay, everybody knows when they're coming, when President uh, Obama will come during his presidency with, at the Rasika West End, they will come from the, the back door or the garage, but everybody knew the president is coming because there's so much security, so many people. But they're the easiest people to look after because they're there, they... They want to have a quiet time, and um, I think it's fun uh, for the staff. It's fun for the guests, but remember, don't overbook the restaurant that day because nobody <laughs> wants to leave That's when right. the president is there. That's true. That's really true. And you're going to give us a tour of the kitchen at some yes, point too, right? To yes. no, that, that'll be great. Well, um, we're really so grateful to be here today and uh, just learning about your journey and, and the restaurants that you've created. You've done so much for Washington, and you've done just on your Indian restaurants really so much to project Indian culture here in America and especially in Washington. Well, I'm grateful to both of you for having me on your tea leaf, and uh, good luck with the podcast. And I don't want to finish without listing your restaurants one more time so that the listeners can uh, make sure they go there. And you'll tell me if I miss one, but 701, Bibiana, The Oval Room, Rasika, Rasika West End, The Bombay Club, Nopa, Bindas, both in Foggy Bottom and Cleveland Park, and the latest restaurant, Sababa. That's correct. We got the whole you list. You got them all. That's incredible. Well, thank so, you. Everyone, be sure to check them out and when you're able. And Ashok, thank you again. And to our listeners, thank you all for listening. Be sure to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you stream Tea Leaves. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
We're in the we're in the kitchen here of the Oval Room. Tell us uh, who's in here and what's happening. We have um, executive chef Brian Moscatello. Hi, hey, Brian. Is back How are in you? the evening. Then we have a lime cook Mel. Okay, and Brian has a giant hunk of meat there. Yeah. And then we have some of the people here. It's um, it's just four o'clock, so you know it's, they're getting ready for service. Some of the cooks will join them around four thirty-five o'clock. When does it start to get really intense in here? Um, 5.36. Yeah. Six. So and what's the culture like? Is it is it intense? Are people getting along or is there occasionally... Brian is the easiest chef to work with. He seems like a nice guy. He, he seems does. like a nice guy. He's, he's smiling. A nice, he's smiling at us. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah. You know? So, and... Um, no, no, Brian easy to work with. He's a good guy, you know? Yeah. The, the, the so kitchen it, is actually, Kurt, I was just going to say, the kitchen is actually much smaller than I thought. It's it smaller, and, yeah. but, you know, it's it's hot, though. I do, You know, this whole hot in the kitchen, it, it, it does it get hotter when you're really cooking? It stays about the same. It, does. it stays about the same, yeah. yeah. But kitchen is hot. So how many people will be here, Ashok, uh, when it's really hopping? But today is Tuesday, so we will have three to five to seven people in the kitchen. Am so I right? Have seven people in the kitchen tonight? Six, probably six. six. Yeah, for six. But so, then the dishwasher. Yeah, then the dishwasher, yeah. yeah so, Brian, during a busy night, how many main courses will you prepare, roughly? On a busy night, you know, lots of things going on, parties going on, 120. Wow. Wow. And how much can you prepare in advance? I mean, in, in, in each of those main courses, have you got to cook from beginning to end? At, when they're ordered, or can you pre-prepare -pre some stuff? For the most part, everything is cooked to order. Nope. You know, we'll, when we get the order, um, especially if guests have order appetizers, we start cooking it, but everything on the fire, everything goes in the pan, the vegetables, the potatoes, whatever the accompaniments are, and everything gets plated on the menu. And do you have a, do you have a kind of time in mind to try to get something out to the table? Um, but, you know, if it's ordered, how long before you want to get it back to them? Generally speaking, um, we want to have first course on the table, eight minutes, you know, wow. windows like six to 10 minutes. And then we fire the entrees about 10 minutes after that. Then the entree should go down about eight to 10 minutes after that. So within a half hour, you should have your first two courses and your, your first couple glasses of wine as well. Right, <laughs> right, right. That's incredible. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah, but you know we, we do in the in in the dining room. We don't take all the tables at one time. We take certain people at six, six fifteen, six thirty. So you stagger them the whole evening, you know. And um, and then you have number of people. They each section have us how many appetizers they do and whatnot. So thank this you. This is terrific. Thank, thank you for bringing yeah. us in. The thank you. Yeah. Thanks, all right. Brian. Thank, thank you, Brian. You're welcome. Thanks, Mel. Good luck tonight. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. What do you, by the way, what are you making there? This is a, a prime beef New York strip loin, so I'm breaking it down into portions for service. Great. Thank you. Thank you.